Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, good morning, New Covenant. So to the three of you that are awake in the front row, thank you. To the rest of you, good morning, New Covenant. That was better. Hey, after uh, listening to David talk about what y'all were looking for in the next senior pastor, I'm thinking he wanted to hire Jesus, not me. So (laughs) thank you for letting me come anyways. I I appreciate it. So glad to be here. So glad to be off the road uh, and be in Albuquerque. And we are just excited to see what the Lord Jesus is going to do. I want to tell you that about three weeks ago, we started this series, Identity in Action, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, And I'm really hoping and I'm praying that we will understand who we are in Christ at a much deeper level by the time that we are done with the book of Ephesians. Um, Who you think you are will radically affect how you live the rest of your life. And so I'm hoping and I'm praying that you see who you are in Christ. This morning, we're going to be on Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul is turning over about 3,500 believers to this young man by the name of Timothy He's going to instruct him on what it looks like to shepherd and to guide and to govern a church. Uh, And in the midst of all that, he wants Timothy to know, as well as the church, who they are in Christ. And so this morning, when we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, Paul launches into this prayer for the church in Ephesus. Um, It's the same thing that I've been praying for New Covenant. It's the same thing that I pray for my family. And I am excited that by the time we are done this Sunday, you will have a really deep Uh, understanding of what it means to be a man or a woman that prays for his or her family, for his or her husband, for his or her church, for his or her community, and what we should be praying for our communities, for our families, for our churches. So I'm ready. I'm excited to launch into the book of Ephesians with you. I'm hoping and I am praying again that you all are as excited. Now let me rephrase that. You are more excited about Jesus than you are about the Lobos or the Broncos or whatever team it is that y'all root for out here in New Mexico. I'm from San Diego, so I'm a Chargers fan. Don't hold that against me. I don't even have a team anymore. They're in LA, so I'm definitely more excited about Jesus than I am about the Chargers. So with that said, would you just go with me to the Lord in prayer as we get ready to dive into Ephesians chapter 1. Lord Jesus, uh, we just thank you for our time together. Lord, we are So thankful that what we get to do here um, on a Sunday morning 52 times a year gives us a little taste of what we get to do in heaven forever. So Lord Jesus, we just come before you and we worship you. Uh, We tell you now that we honor you as Lord, we honor you as King, and Lord, we want to live our lives in such a way that the world sees that you are our King, uh, that you are our Lord, that you are our Master. And so Lord, we love you. We praise you for who you are this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. Well, let me ask you, what if what you prayed was posted on social media for the world to see? Every prayer that you ever pray, whether it be when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed at night or before meals, if it was posted on social media and everybody could see it or we brought it up here on the screen, what would it, what would it tell us about you? I ask because oftentimes you can discover what's going on inside of the heart of a person based off how they pray. By the way, don't try to flower up your prayers now all of a sudden. 
Don't worry about what people are listening to going, man, I wonder what people are thinking. Remember, when you pray, this is intimate conversation between you and the Lord. And what a blessing it is that we get to go directly to God's throne room um, in prayer. Well, Paul does that, and that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Paul goes directly to God's throne room, and he begins to pray for young Timothy. He prays for the church that's in Ephesus that uh, young Timothy is going to pastor And this morning, we're going to get to see one of the great prayers of the Bible. Again, I don't want you to try to flower up your prayers. This just gives us a how to pray. This gives us a little bit of a what we should be praying for. You all remember when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, and sometimes for some reason we tend to think that we need to repeat that prayer over and over. Jesus wasn't saying this is exactly what you should pray over and over. He says this then is how you should pray. And when he begins to unpack how we should pray, if you pay attention to what he taught the disciples, it starts with the glory and the honor of the Lord. I would hope and I would pray that every time we pray, it starts with the glory and the honor of the Lord. You're going to learn real fast that I'm totally into cheesy acrostics because they help us remember stuff. So I have taught my girls and my family and myself and um, a church that I've pastored in the past that when we pray, I oftentimes think through the acrostic, pray. Let's start with praise. That P is praise. Just praise God for who he is. Before you ask him for anything, just praise God for who he is. Praise him for being the creator of the universe. Praise him for a brand new day. Praise him that your heart is still beating. Praise him that you get to take another breath into your lungs. Praise him for even goofy little things like taste buds. You get to taste good food. I'm discovering Albuquerque's got some sweet restaurants. I've got a lot to try out, so I'm excited. I'm glad God gave us taste buds and a digestive system and all of that good stuff. The R in pray is repent. Once I praise God for how good he is, I need to repent because I realize how woefully short I fall. Then I can get to the A, which is the ask God. Ask God to supply our needs because we cannot take care of ourselves. That's hard for us men. We tend to think we are self-sufficient. We are the masters of our own destiny. And then we begin to learn real quick when a sickness hits or we lose a loved one or we lose a job because of this weird thing called COVID or whatever that we really cannot sustain ourselves. And then the why in pray is yield. Be willing to yield to whatever it is that God says. Well, you're going to see some of that in Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. Again, if you don't have your Bibles open yet, would you do that? Would you go to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15? I'm just going to read it in context all the way through verse 23, and I am going to give you a recap of verses 1 through 14, but bear with me. We're going to do that later in the message. So starting in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might." that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all." 
That would have been a huge source of encouragement to the believers in Ephesus. And why? Because they are under oppression once again. He's writing to predominantly Jewish believers, but also Gentile believers at this time who have come to know Jesus. And once again, they're underneath bondage. They've been in bondage to Egypt. They've been in bondage to Assyria, to Babylon, to Medo-Persia, to Greece, and now to Rome. Once again in bondage. They're smack dab in the middle of the city Ephesus, where in the middle of that city is this huge statue, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It's to the goddess Diana, or in Greek, it's Artemis. It's a fertility goddess or a sex goddess. And they've got a thousand temple prostitutes that are working at this temple 24 hours a day. And believers are in the midst of this going, Rome is ruling. We've got procreators over us. We've got um, centurions over us. We've got a Caesar over us. We're in complete oppression. We've got this huge temple built to this goddess Diana or Artemis. We've got people constantly persecuting us, and Paul says, don't worry about it. The God that you serve, who made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ, is far bigger, and he's living inside of you, and his greatness and his power are immeasurable. There is no one bigger, there is no one greater. Listen, we don't at all live in Ephesus or Babylon, do we? I mean, sexual immorality is not at all running rampant in our society, is it? Murder, that's not running rampant at all. Things like trafficking, which, by the way, was happening back then, that's not running rampant at all. The killing of babies, that's not happening at all. It's all those things that happened in Ephesus. All those things that would have happened to believers in Babylon are happening to us today in 2022. And we're beginning to wonder, some believers are beginning to wonder, is God still good? Is he still in control? Can anybody answer yes to that this morning? The answer is absolutely yes. God is still completely in control. And here Paul begins to launch into a prayer for the believers that are in Ephesus. I am praying for you all. The elders of this church and pastors are praying for you all that you would understand that Jesus' power is immeasurably great and far greater than anyone that's reigning and ruling. You may be frustrated with the direction that the state of New Mexico has gone. I don't blame you. I'm from the state of California. Yeah, exactly. Y'all laugh. I'm from the state of California, from the city of San Diego. Things were not good when it came to people following the Lord there. And you begin to look around sometimes and have a pity party. Jesus, are you still on the throne? And the answer is absolutely. There's nothing that can thwart his plan. In fact, we should expect things to be bad. Scripture tells us clearly things are going to go from bad to worse. Evil people are going to get even more evil as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus. Listen, I don't know when the rapture of the church, when that snatching up of the church is going to happen, but I firmly believe that we are getting pretty darn close. Ever since the Jews were brought back into their homeland in May of 1948, the door has been wide open for Jesus to take the church home. We are living in exciting times. If you haven't been paying attention to what's going on over in Israel right now in that little sliver of land about the size of New Jersey, God is moving. And that's exciting stuff. He could take us home at any moment. So I would encourage us, let's live out Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, because Jesus could take us home at any moment. Well, what does Paul begin to pray for the church? Let's begin to break this down little by little. 
Beginning in verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Here's Paul's first thing that he prays. It's a request that you all would know him better. We're going to begin to talk more about this as I work with the elders, as I work with the other pastors, but what is our vision for this church? What is our mission for this church? I would love to see our vision be something along these lines, that we as a people treasure Jesus above all else. That's our vision, that we develop disciples of Jesus that treasure Jesus above all else. That means that there's nothing in your life that's more valuable than Jesus. Not sex, not money, not career, not your house, not even your life. That you would be so in love with Jesus that you would say, if I have to give my life for him today, I will do it. By the way, the trade is not all that bad. Give up the junk that's going on here to be in heaven with the Lord where there's no more sickness, mourning, crying, death, pain. Sounds like a good trade to me. I believe that's why Paul could say in Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is absolutely. So Paul's request is that we would all know him better, that we would come to know him on a deeper and more intimate level. There's a word that Paul uses here for know. It's the word in Greek, epigenosis. Epigenosis literally means to know from firsthand experience. Let me give you an example of knowing from firsthand experience. I know who the president is. If you showed me a picture of his face, I would know that's the president of the United States. But I don't know him well as a person, and he doesn't know me from Adam's house cat. But ask me about my wife, and I know my wife on a much deeper and more intimate level. Ask me about Jolene, and I can tell you what brings her joy. I can tell you what makes her sad. I can tell you what gets her excited. I can tell you what frustrates her and what drains her. And I can tell you a host of other things about my wife after 21 years of marriage. The question is, do I know Jesus like that? Do I know what breaks Jesus' heart? Do I know what brings him joy? Do I know what excites him? Do I know what causes him to look at me and go, Dave, not the greatest choice in the world. Well, there's only one way I'm going to know that. What's the only way? Don't think too deep. Pick up this book. <laughs> That's the only way it's going to happen. This book from front cover Genesis 1 to back cover Revelation chapter 22 has one theme. It's all about God's kingdom and the king that reigns in that kingdom. Y'all know who that king is? It's Jesus. Did y'all know that he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth? He's going to do it. He's going to do it in this little thing called the millennium. He is coming back. He is going to set up a literal 1,000-year reign on the earth. He is literally going to establish a new heavens and a new earth. Praise God, because the mess that we're in is finally going to be destroyed. And we are going to get to live in the new heaven and the new earth. And we're going to live in deep fellowship and intimacy with him forever. So why not get to know him well? I have a good buddy loves the Lord. He and both of his wife have dealt with horrible bouts with cancer. She finally died of bone cancer, and it was a painful way to go. 
But he had at one time written me a letter about what it means to know Jesus. And I was still a fairly new believer. It was he and two other guys that took me underneath his wing and really grew me in my knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And again, when I use the word knowledge, I'm using the word epignosis, to know him at a head level and a heart level. But he says this, he says, Dave, when it comes to knowing God, there's, there's the first level of knowing him, and it's experience. It's just getting to experience him a little bit. He says the second level is the level of knowledge. It's actually getting to know him more, and that's at a deeper level. That comes from things like going to church, listening to sermons, reading the Bible, reading good books, maybe even going to seminary. But then he says there's also a third level, and that's the level of wisdom. And that only comes by prayer and spending time with the Lord. And I like the way wisdom gets defined. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So it's knowing about the Lord Jesus, and that only comes through being in his word, through getting into small groups, maybe listening to podcasts. But then to move to that next level, I need to spend intimate time with the Lord and say, Lord, I know about you. Now I want to know you. I want to know you on a deep and intimate level. And that's what Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. And really, I think that's the difference between waking up tomorrow on a Monday morning and going, Lord, I want to do things for you versus, Lord, I want to do things with you. Gang, let's do things with Jesus. Let's leave here today and go do things with Jesus. Some of us get intimidated by the word evangelism. I'm supposed to go share my faith? I'm no good at doing that stuff for the Lord. Good, don't do it for the Lord. Do it with him. Live out Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Just let him speak through you. We're going to give you a very clear understanding of the gospel in about 12 minutes. So give me 12 more minutes. And then I'm going to give you a clear understanding of the gospel. Prayerfully you will realize that going out and sharing who Jesus is, inviting somebody to know Jesus, inviting somebody to New Covenant Church is not intimidating as you think it may be. Okay, so what's the first thing that we see that Paul prays? It's a request. And what is the request? That we would know him better. Well, then he goes on in verse 18 and he says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So he moves on from the request to the means. What are the means of us coming to know him better? That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Bear with me as I get kind of geeky on you as we unpack certain words. But that word heart is important. We have completely messed up and misconstrued what the word heart means. I have heard many people say, hey, you know what? Just follow your heart. That is the dumbest thing in the world, if I can just be frankly honest. That's dumb. Do you know why? Because Jeremiah told us that the heart above all else is deceitfully wicked. And not only that, but I think we have a misunderstanding of what the word heart means. What does the word heart mean in Scripture? It almost always means the seat of your mind, emotions, and will. Listen to that again. The definition of the word heart is almost always carrying with it the idea of the seat of the mind, emotions, and will. I want my mind, my emotions, and my will to be right in tune with what God desires, not with what I want. Forget about following my heart. If I ever stand up here and tell you, New Covenant Church is going to follow the desires of Dave's heart, go to a different church, quickly. 
Because what we are going to do at New Covenant Church is we are going to discover what the heart of the Lord is, what does he want for us, and then we are going to pursue that with everything that we've got. Listen, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but I can't tell you how excited I am about the weeks to come. Starting in October and November, please pray for your leadership team. We are going to engage in some fairly intense leadership training, and we are going to take a look at what does it mean for, for us to make disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. Jesus took 12 men underneath his wing, 12 misfits, and he turned the world upside down as we read in the book of Acts. He took 12 guys that nobody else would have chosen and said, come with me, come follow me, let's go turn the world upside down. Look around, we got about 300 of us sitting in this room. Do you understand what the Lord can do with 300 people that are sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ? He wants to turn Albuquerque upside down. Listen, I'm not trying to conjure up false emotion, but I sure hope that when you leave this place, You can't wait to get out into Albuquerque and into the community that you live in and say, man, I can't wait to see the world turned upside down for Jesus. Not because I'm awesome, but because he is. I can't wait to see what he does. I can't wait to see the hearts of other people enlightened so that they come to an understanding of who Jesus actually is. I'm hoping that Just like when we watch on TV a football game, you want to be in the game, not on the sidelines. There are, think about this analogy for a moment. There are tens of thousands of fans watching college football on Saturday and professional football on Sundays. But there's only 22 on the field. 11 on offense and 11 on defense. That is a lot like the church today. There are tens of thousands of people cheering, yay, go Jesus, go team, but they're not willing to get into the game because it's hard work and you might get hurt in the process. Let me encourage you, following Jesus is hard work and you might get hurt in the process, but it's worth it because you get something far greater than some trophy at the end. You get the glorious inheritance of the saints. What is the glorious inheritance of the saints? We're going to get into that in just a minute. I promise you. But there's something else that Paul says at the end of this passage. In verse 18, I'm going to go back to it again. He prays that you would have the the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body to the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. What is the result of knowing God better, of knowing Christ better? What is the result of having him take up residence in us? That we will know him better. You will. And what is it that Paul wants you to know? First thing that Paul wants us to know when we get to know him better is all that he has given us. Well, what has he given you? we got to go back to verses 1 through 14. I'm not going to read all those. I'm just going to give you a summary of the very first message. 
But what did we read in verses 1 through 14 that Jesus gave us the moment he died and rose again and then took up residence in our lives? What, what were we given? Okay, I'm going to sound like an auctioneer because I'm going to go through these really fast. So if you're a note taker, you can drop kick me in the face after service, not now. Here we go. Here are the things that he gave us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. Verse 6, we are recipients of his grace, the undeserved gift of salvation. Verse 7, we were given redemption through his blood. Also in verse 7, we were, we were given forgiveness of our sins. Verse 8, we were given wisdom and understanding. Verses 9 through 10, his plan was made known to us. Verse 11, we were chosen and predestined. Verse 13, we were brought into the body of Christ. Verse 13, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And verse 14, we were given the inheritance of our, of, or we were given the guarantee of our inheritance. Is that not an awesome list of blessings and promises? You are allowed to be semi-excited about what Jesus has given you. That's what we have been blessed with. Here is the second thing that Paul is praying, that you would recognize all that God has promised. In Ephesians 1.18, the very last part of that verse, Paul looks ahead to our time with the Lord in eternity. And that is beyond our capacity to describe. I cannot describe for you what heaven is going to be like. But let me tell you what is going to make heaven so awesome. It's not going to be the streets of gold although that's going to be awesome. It's not even going to be the river of life, although that is going to be awesome. It's not going to be the angels, the cherubim and the seraphim that are gathered around the throne that is going to make heaven so awesome. Do you know what's going to make heaven so awesome? It's not even necessarily about the place. Don't get me wrong. The street of gold, the gates of pearl, those foundation stones with the apostles' names etched in them, the river of life, the tree of life that's going to be there forever. Those things are going to be grand and they're going to be glorious and they're going to be far better than even walking down Main Street at Disneyland. It's going to be awesome, but that's not what is going to be the greatest thing about heaven. Do you know what the greatest thing about heaven is going to be? Amen. It's going to be Jesus. And Paul says, man, just wait until you get there. It's going to be amazing. In the meantime, Keep introducing everyone you meet to the one that is going to be beyond what you could possibly imagine. So there's one more thing. He says, I want you to be aware of all that God has provided. And he talks about the power that is placed within you. Again, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. The word power in the Greek New Testament has about four different words that could possibly be used. The word that's used here is where we get our English word for energy or muscular strength, or it could even be defined as courageous power. God's power is sufficient for everything that we need. So if you've been gripped by fear, if you've been gripped by inadequacy, maybe insecurity, maybe you've just got this feeling that I'm powerless to change anything that goes on. I'm looking at what a mess Albuquerque has become, and I'm looking at what a mess our society has become and our country has become. What in the, what in the world could one person do? 
well, let me just say, if I'm the one person or you're the one person, we can't do anything. But we know the one person that can do everything. And he's still on the throne. And a bunch of us are running around wondering, man, I'm just so inadequate and I'm so insecure in who I am and, and I'm gripped by fear. I don't think there's anything that I can do. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you've lived. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your career is. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your personality is like. If you have got the living God of the universe living inside of you, we are told that we have got everything, everything we need to sufficiently go out and make eternal impacts in the world. I have met people that you would think they are not going to do anything for the Lord, but every time you spend time with them, it's as if you just spend time with Jesus. I'm hoping and I'm praying that that's New Covenant Church. So let me ask you this. Why should we worry? Do we, let me rephrase the question. Do we have anything to worry about? Is there anything or anyone bigger than our God? And our great God of the universe, the one who simply spoke it all into existence. Think about this for a second. God simply spoke, and all of a sudden there were more stars in the sky than there were grains of sand on the seashore. You know what the Bible tells us? That there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the seashore? At one point in time, all that mankind could do was map about 1,100 stars. So we were told that the Bible had fault, that had error. It said that there's more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on the seashore, but there's only 1,100. Then we developed this little thing called the Hubble Deep Space Telescope, and we began to discover things. And you know what one of the things is that they discovered? There are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the seashore. And did you know that we have only begun to probe some of the depths of the universe? Do you know how much of the universe there is that we have not yet begun to be, to, to be able to discover? Man, God is big and God is great and yet he still walks intimately with each one of us. Little specks in the middle of the universe. So I want to ask the question again, do we have anything to worry about? Do we have anything to fear? The answer should be an absolute resounding no. I am hoping and I am praying that what you learned this morning from Ephesians chapter 1 would greatly encourage you. I would hope and I would pray that if you do not yet have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe, that you would trust him today, that you would trust the one who came as the person of Jesus Christ, who made you, died for you, and rose again for you. In fact, I want to pause for just a moment and make the gospel as clear as we can possibly make it. We seem to muddy up the gospel a whole bunch. We tend to think that there's got to be something that we can do to earn God's favor, to earn God's love. Gang, God is so holy and God is so awesome and I am so messed up that there is nothing that I could ever do to earn my way to God. In fact, the blessing of the gospel is when there was nothing that I could do to ascend to heaven, he descended to earth and made himself known in the person of Jesus. There are five things that you absolutely must know in order to understand the gospel. Are you ready? They're not difficult. God created all that exists, including you and me. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He created us for the purpose of bringing him glory and being in a love relationship with him. That's the second thing, also from Genesis chapter 2. But I completely messed up. I destroyed, I wrecked that relationship that he designed for me to have with him. That's from Genesis chapter 3 and Romans chapter 3. 
The fourth thing that we must absolutely know is that he loved us so much that instead of leaving us in our sin to die and be separated from him for eternity, he pursued us when we would never pursue him. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 and Romans chapter 6 verse 23 make those clear. And here's the fifth thing. In order to be in that love relationship with him, I have to crown him as Lord and Savior. He is already Lord and Savior, but I have to make him Lord and Savior of my life by simply accepting the free gift of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We are planning on starting in January, going through some things that we call equipping courses. We will do about three months of equipping courses. We're looking at doing that on Tuesday nights. I'm way like jumping ahead of the schedule because January is like forever away, right? It'll be here before we know it. And I am excited to dive into what we believe as a church, why we believe it, and how we live it. I just mentioned the gospel to you, and some of you all sitting in this room may say, I don't even believe point one. I don't even believe that there is a God. I don't even believe that there's a God that created all things. I would love to dive into why the biblical worldview, why a Christian worldview actually makes the most sense out of any worldview. Why there has to be a God that exists outside of time, space, and matter that brought all things that are finite into existence. Why he is the one who had to start time. Why he is the one who had to develop space. Why he is the one who had to create all matter. Why he and he alone is the only one who is infinite that brought all finite things into existence. Because listen, if you believe that there is no God, then you have to believe that either the universe created itself, which is self-refuting because you have to exist in order to make something. <sighs> Sorry, I got to take a breath here. <laughs> or you have to believe that everything came from absolutely nothing. Think about those three alternatives for just a second and tell me which one makes the most sense. Absolutely nothing created everything. All things have just existed forever, although that doesn't make any sense based off the second law of thermodynamics, or somebody outside of time, space, and matter brought all things into existence that is infinite himself. Okay, I won't go any further because I'm now diving into the area of apologetics. We'll do that on Tuesday nights in a few months. Amen? Amen. Let me spend a moment. Let me pray for us, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here while I pray. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and again, we are just so thankful for who you are. Lord, we are thankful that while we were people that ran away from you, that, Lord, you pursued us. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you chose to create us, that you had decided before the foundation of the world that you were going to make us even though we were going to rebel against you, that you were going to pursue us even when we ran away from you, that you were going to die for us sufficiently paying the penalty for every single one of our sins, past, present, and future, and that you were going to defeat sin and death, proving that you were God in flesh by rising again from the dead. Lord, while it may not be Resurrection Sunday, Lord, we celebrate the power of the resurrection every Sunday. And Lord, again, we are so thankful that you love us when you didn't have to. You died for us and rose for us when you didn't have to. And Lord, in some feeble attempt, we try to say thank you and tell you that we love you. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for this morning. Lord, we look with eager anticipation at the many and mighty things that you are going to do in the days and in the weeks and in the years to come here at New Covenant Church. And we ask that you would continue to work in ways that are beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. 
We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.